Introducing Blaise Pascal, Anti-Modern. The subtitle of this piece is, If we're going to battle against modernity, we need to recognize our champions. Pascal might have been the first. Alright, René Descartes was kind of a dick. His famous saying, quote, I think, therefore I am, unquote, is nothing less than a wholesale rejection of all authority, even objective truth as authority, in favor of what Russell Kirk would have called a defecated rationality and fierce subjectivism that belittles anything outside of one's own mind. You see, the modern attitude created by Descartes does two things. One, it enshrines one's own beliefs or preferences as exclusive source of truth. That's the fierce subjectivism part. Two, it elevates logic that flows from that fierce subjectivism, the defecated rationality, into a truth, my truth, your truth, his, her truth, etc. I mean, if you draw a thick cocaine line from Descartes to today's trans wars, you'd be drawing coke lines better than Hunter Thompson. Now, accused of being an atheist, Descartes claimed to be a, quote, devout Catholic, unquote. That's from a Yale historian who used that phrase, devout Catholic. Kind of funny in light of our current president's protestations to the contrary to his questionable Catholic beliefs. But anyway, Descartes claimed to be a devout Catholic, but he left his Catholic France to live among the Calvinists and Jews in the Netherlands. He espoused odd and bizarre theories about the soul, he spent his final days as a court philosopher for the Lutheran Queen Christine of Sweden and died without last rites. All told, not a guy who seemed particularly concerned about Catholicism. In fact, one academic thinks that Descartes was such a poor Catholic that a priest thought his example would prevent Queen Christina of Sweden from converting to Catholicism, so the priest poisoned the father of modernity by lacing a host with arsenic. Now, in my opinion, that story doesn't ring true. I mean, a priest who cares enough about Catholicism wouldn't desecrate the host like that. But hey, the queen did convert after Descartes' death, so maybe. Now, the Pope also thought Descartes was kind of a dick. Urban VIII put his writings on the Index of Forbidden Books about a dozen years after Descartes died. But most people thought Descartes was brilliant. He was the toast of Europe. But Descartes wasn't the smartest guy in Europe. Heck, he wasn't even the smartest guy in France. A young upstart was his intellectual superior. Descartes knew it and resented it. Did I mention Descartes was kind of a dick? <laughs> when the 16-year-old Blaise Pascal published a mathematical paper on conic or conic sections, when Descartes was 43, Descartes knew he'd been eclipsed when he was at, while he was at the height of his intellectual power and reputation. At first, Descartes refused to believe someone as young as Pascal could have written something like that. But when he learned it was true, Descartes turned to belittling him. When Pascal later invented the syringe and the hydraulic press, Descartes mocked him and said Pascal had, quote, too much vacuum in his head, unquote. Pascal in turn returned, excuse me, Pascal returned Descartes' disdain, but not out of petty jealousy. I mean, the better does not envy the other. But rather because Pascal saw that Descartes' method dispensed with God. Pascal, I suspect, saw where Descartes' method of fierce subjectivism would lead. And even if Pascal couldn't have imagined men with lipstick and counterfeit vaginas, 
He no doubt saw, if only vaguely, the ugly road modernity and its subjective rationality would lead. I'm intrigued that Pascal came along when he did, was thrown into Descartes' path. I mean, here was Descartes, the greatest mind in Europe, asserting one's ideas and rationality as the basis of everything and launching the era that we call modernity. Descartes, by the way, is considered one of the two fathers of modernity. Descartes and idealism, and then Bacon and science. That'll all be flushed out in later episodes. And then there was, after, so Descartes launches modernity, and then almost immediately, there was this clear intellectual superior coming along less than 10 years later, making a name for himself and setting himself as a far better alternative to Descartes. Pascal is the proto-anti-modern. I mean, he was anti-modern before modern was. And what did this titan of anti-modernity, anti-Cartesian idealism say? His most famous saying, quote, The heart has its reasons, which reason knows nothing of. We know the truth not only by the reason, but by the heart, unquote. Don't. Pascal was saying, trust your own reason as exclusive arbiter of truth. Modernity, as Jacques Derrida would show, was a series of little religions. The modern thought process goes like this. 1. Reject God. 2. Unwittingly embrace a new God, or what Jacques Derrida would call a logocentric idea. 3. Rationalize truths from that new God. That's it. Reject God. Embrace the new God, rationalize from that God. That's the recipe followed by every modern thinker that was, is, and ever shall be. And heck, it's not just the recipe followed by every modern thinker. Every modern person, thinker, and dolt follows that recipe. The moron at the honky-tonk bar with the flag bandana around his head and a scowl on his face. The woke idiot with the Ukraine flag bandana skateboarding people on the head. Both moderns though of limited intellectual gifts. The brilliant, if disturbed, David Foster Wallace said, quote, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship, unquote. And if you go to the show notes, you'll, the, the full quote's there in, in the end notes. So a person can claim to reject God, but some of the God will take his place in the heart. From that God, new ideas and conclusions will follow, no matter how boneheaded. Because here's the thing, every person needs a starting point that can't be reasoned to. That starting point is his or her God. Only an arrogant oaf thinks he's above worship. For Descartes, that little God was one's own mind. Once he elevated one's thoughts to the divine, people could start trusting their thoughts, ideas, even passions as little slices of dogma from cut from that little god of their mind. Pascal wasn't having it. Now, the younger Pascal might not have much cared. He wasn't particularly religious. By his late 20s, his father died. His beloved sister was entering a convent against his wishes. He had a small inheritance that was enough to sustain him, and that was about it. He only seemed to care about his scientific work. But then in November 1654 to age 31, he had an intense and direct encounter with the divine. He didn't talk about it, but he did write it down, a description of it, and he sewed it in the lining of his coat. Now they found after, after he died, by the way, I guess no one knew he had this little thing called the, mem the memento or the memoir or whatever that 
he kept on him at all times, presumably to remind himself of this divine experience. But anyway, at that point, he shifted his attention to this experience and started working on a thorough defense of the, of the divine. He wrote passages as it came to him. Then, after he had assembled a large collection, he started classifying them by cutting up each sheet into its component punces. And by the way, pense, punces, punces, I've heard it pronounced a bajillion different ways. So whether I'm right or wrong, I don't care. I'm going to say punces. Anyway, and he arranged them under 28 headings, and he fastened the fragments within each bundle by threading string, threading string through them. Unfortunately, illness cut short his life and his great work. Only fragments 1 through 382 were classified. 383 through 829 weren't, though their content is occasionally full enough to allow classification by scholars, who also found about 80 more fragments resulting in 912 total punces, which has since become a standard in the Western canon. If you go to volume 33 of the Encyclopedia, Great Books of the Western World, that's Pascal, most of which is the Punces. In the Punces, Pascal frequently, refer, frequently refers to the, quote, hidden God, unquote. The phrase has been the subject of a lot of scholarly commentary, but my hunch is he was referring to the Tao. After reason and logic run their course, something always remains. Paradox simultaneously points to that, points to that something while at the same time mocking reason and logic. But paradox doesn't show us what that something is. That something is the Tao. That something is, I think, what Pascal was referring to when he, when he referred to the, quote, hidden God. After all, if he wasn't hidden, we could articulate what he is. And we, it's, he's beyond articulation, that's why he's hidden. Which is what I've been saying about the Tao throughout all these podcast episodes for the past year or so. But, Pascal knew God exists, so it is reasonable to believe, even if irrational. The Punces, as a whole, show how it's reasonable to embrace an irrational Christianity. For that matter, the Punces defend the reasonably irrational in general. It's a paradox, yes, but reality is laced with paradox. As I've explored previously, full reality can't be reasoned to. We know all sorts of things that escape logic. We know them by intuition or what Hugh Kenner refers to as the, quote, instinct for being, unquote, which is in his forgotten classic, Paradox and Chesterton. Get a copy. It's a hard slog, but it's short, lovely, great book. Anyway, when we reach the limits of our logic, but still see, feel, sense, intuit that there's something else there, we've reached the Tao, paradox, absurdity, the tragedy of existence, the grund, as Meister Eckhart might call it, whatever. That's what we're referring to. Pascal, the rationalist genius who devoted most of his life to unlocking the secrets of the material world, said Yale historian Carlos Ayer back in 2016, wrote the Pensees to, quote, convince his fellow diehard rationalists that human beings could never be ultimately satisfied by earthly life or by reason alone, unquote. I'm into that. Pascal makes that point poetically in Punce 199. I'm going to read it here. We float on a vast ocean, ever uncertain and adrift, blown this way or that. Whenever we think we have some point to which we can cling and fasten ourselves, it shakes free and leaves us behind. And if we follow it, it eludes our grasp, slides away, and escapes forever. Nothing stays still for us. 
This is our natural condition, and yet the one farthest from our inclination. We burn with the desire to find firm ground and an ultimate secure base on which to build a tower reaching up to the infinite. But our whole foundation cracks, and the earth opens up into the abyss. Reality, Pascal said, is full of astonishing contradictions. That's his phrase, astonishing contradictions. And each per person experiences them. Reality is a paradox machine. Each person is a little paradox machine. It's all absurd, and Pascal knew it, prefiguring the existentialist Albert Camus and his myth of Sisyphus by about 300 years. It's so absurd we need to be crazy, in other words, beyond reasonable and logical, to appreciate it. Does that mean madness is the norm? It could be. Here's what Pascal said. Men are so inevitably mad that not to be mad would be to give a mad twist to madness. Thanks for listening.